What's going on, traders? I don't know if I was on mute to start the day. You guys already know the mute, the mute button. Not feeling the best, but going to hang in there. Going to bring in my brains to bring the energy today. Normally, it's me, but today, it's going to be Chris. What's hey, up, what's, dude? What's going on, Mitch? Yeah, I, I, I got your energy. I'll, I'll make up for it. We got a great show, everyone. I mean, we have the SPAC king, Julian Klamachko joining us on the show. He's been a frequent guest here. One of the first guests we ever had way back in October and November. Um, so we're excited to have him back on. And what a great time to bring Julian on. We're going to talk about SPACs. And, and the big thing you're seeing out there, right, is SPACs are coming back. You know, we've got lots of movers. We've got former SPACs trading higher. We've got SPACs with deals trading higher. And we're starting to even see those pre-deal SPACs start to trade back up to $10 and above. So great time out there to be following SPACs. Great time to have Julian on the show. So super excited for today's show. Yeah, you know, it just goes to take a look that, um, hey, maybe if you would have held some of these at those 10s, even lower than 10s, uh, patience pays off a lot of the times. All right, let's go ahead. Definitely. Let's get into some headlines. Let's take us back, Chris. You got this. All right, guys. Yeah, so a decent amount of headlines to get to, and then we definitely want to get into our watch list and all those movers out there. So uh, a couple SPACs that we'll get to in the movers that are falling, actually. We have Genius Sports, G-E-N-I. So shares are down on a share offering. The company announced a proposed public offering of 20 million shares. That's 12 million from the company and 8 million by selling shareholders. So uh, Genie trading down um, on that news. Then we have Playboy, P-L-B-Y. So Playboy shares also down on a share offering. Um, the group filed for $4 million share common stock offering. Um, so both those stocks, you know, have been up and now getting that share offering out there and trading down on that news. We have some news out from uh, Hylion today, H-Y-L-N. Um, so they announced the expansion of their Austin headquarters. Um, that's going to beef up, you know, th them being able to roll out that new hybrid unit and also the launch of the Hypertruck ERX. And then they also added Rochelle Frank as the vice president of operations. She has over 25 years experience managing facilities and assembly programs, uh, previously working for Chrysler, Navistar, um, and most recently, Daimler Trucks North America. So uh, a decent ad there to really boost Hylion going forward. Um, so keep an eye out on that one. It has been a decent mover. A couple of uh, dates to watch. Um, if you have your pen and paper ready, we have ACIC merging with Archer. They have an event this week on June 10th where they will unveil that electric vertical takeoff and landing uh, aircraft. So keep an eye out on ACIC. I think, you know, that we're going to see this one move a little bit this week. Um, we've already started to see some of these EVTOL uh, companies, you know, announce deals and get ready uh, to fly the skies. So look for Archer to have a strong week. And also Luminar, that's L-A-Z-R, hosting an event on June 15th. Um, you know, as I've said, we've got lots of these LIDAR companies. And Luminar, one of the leaders, and they're going to have that event this week. 
that uh, hopefully will uh, provide an update on the company going forward. So keep an eye out on that one. And then uh, a couple of uh, mergers that went through recently. So we have uh, VWE. This is Vintage Wine Estates, formerly BSPE. Um, this is one we had the company uh, on the show not too long ago. Shares trading at 11.93. They have popped um, in those first couple days of trading. This is one that's kind of gone under the radar. Um, not getting the same coverage as some of these other SPAC deals like SoFi and Bark that have completed. Um, and it, it, you know, it compares nicely to uh, Duckhorn, which recently went public, ticker NAPA. So Credit Suisse out today with an outperform on Duckhorn uh, and a $23 price target. I think we start to see some analysts uh, dip into vintage wine estates um, you know, with, with the, the pure play, wine play, um, looking nice going forward. So keep an eye out, VWE, that deal has been completed, currently trades with the new ticker. Uh, merger between FSRV and Catapult was approved, uh, going to trade under the new ticker KPLT. And then a couple votes. We have IACA setting a vote date of June 28th for Tabula. HOL uh, Holicity setting a vote date of June 30th for that combination with Astra Space, a space company um, that had an acquisition uh, announcement yesterday. Then we also have THCB merging with Microvast, setting a merger vote date tentatively for July 16th. Um, this one has been moving nicely over the past couple of trading days as well. And then yesterday, VPCC, uh, that merger announcement with Dave shares ended up trading flat, not following the same pattern we've seen where these deal announcements end up trading positive on the day. Um, you know, one to 3%, uh, didn't trade down, but it, it, it was very flat on the day. Um, so keep an eye out, you know, on that one to see how that re uh, reaction comes over the next couple of days. And then of course, some of our top movers yesterday, uh, Clover health, COV, Nicola, NKLA, uh, Lordstown Motors, RIDE, Churchill Capital, CCIV, and Virgin Galactic, SPCE. We'll dive into some movers uh, from today uh, in a little bit. And then no deals today, but we do have one rumor out there. So Bridgetown 2 Holdings, that's ticker BTNB. Uh, this is a SPAC from Richard Lee and Peter Thiel, um, the founder of PayPal and Palantir. So Bloomberg reporting that... Uh, BTNB is in talks with Property Guru, which is a Singapore-based online real estate firm, also has operations in Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Thailand. Um, it, this could be done at a valuation of $2 billion and announced in July. Uh, remember the first Bridgetown SPAC, BTWN, is rumored to be working on a deal with Indonesian travel company Traveloka. So both of these SPACs, you know, we're, we're among the best trading um, pre-deal announced ones. So BTNB traded all the way up to, to 14, now trading at 1020. Shares were up about 6% pre-market this morning, now up about 1%. Um, you know, if you want exposure to the Southeast Asia market, these are two SPACs targeting that industry. And, you know, now we have an online uh, real estate company in Singapore as the possible target. Um, so that could be a, a strong deal announcement if we get that next month. 
And then, of course, turning to our calendar. So as I said, that FSRV vote uh, with Catapult was approved. Um, tomorrow we have votes for Kappa uh, and THBR. And then later this week, VGAC, CCX, SSPK, and ACTC all having merger votes. Um, you know, this exciting June calendar with so many votes ahead. Um, you know, so we're going to dive into that with Julian definitely to find out which dates and which SPACs he's watching uh, in the month of June. But exciting times ahead in SPAC land. Uh, what do you what do you think, Mitch? Yeah, you know, one of the things that we've been seeing is a lot of excitement coming back to some of these. Some of these actually being looked at for short interest. We'll talk a little bit about one that definitely rocketed off today. I'll give you a, an ability and a way that you could have attacked this stock today. So let's go ahead and let's take a look at our watch list before we get the king on. But wanted to give a shout out definitely in the chat. Appreciate everybody giving me good uh, some good love. Definitely Matt Higgins. I would love some of those Magnolia cupcakes. We'll definitely take some. Uh, can't go wrong with the Magnolia. Definitely not. Let's keep it going, guys. Let's look here. What other we got? I, I'm looking, someone asking about IPOF. I don't see news out there, um, but I did talk about that I could potentially see this one running. Do you see anything, Chris, or is it just kind of a, a good day? Yeah, just kind of a good day. I don't see any news. It still has that rumor with Equinox, but there hasn't been any update. You know, as we talked yesterday, I think there's strong speculation that IPOD or IPOF gets a deal with those new Chamath SPACs coming out. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at our watch list because we were having a lot of things moving. We're going to go ahead and go into one. One I actually put on my Twitter last week as my favorite chart in the SPAC game right now. So let's go ahead and take a look at the watch list. All right, guys, we've got a bunch of stocks going and moving. John Doe will touch ASTS at the end. I got you. Definitely we'll take a look at that one. Of course, Clover with a big move up today, guys. Um, and really, one of the things that I would point out on this stock is that I, I like approaching these and, and trying to get these off the VWAP. If you look, um, actually, I'll try to put this full screen so that you guys can actually see this. Maybe I need to go to – let me get you some – more in-depth charting here as you guys can see some of the stocks that i was watching today you guys are getting some access right now <laughs> that behind the scenes look right now yeah you guys are not even allowed to see this all right let's keep it going let's go into that so clove how can you approach this stock today so i like using a vwap guys a vwap is what i like to attack here so right here off the one minute you got a good push up it kind of cleared that VWAP look and then quickly came back up. And once it goes above this, what you want to see is kind of start drawing kind of this uh, this trend line look here that you got here. It's really good. It's a really good look. Once you kind of get this uh, third resistance try, I always talk about it, guys. One up, one down, two up, two down, three up. It tried to break out there at 1844, and it actually created a wick, went right back down to support right off to that VWAP, and then really started rocketing off, guys. That's how you could have attacked this. And look at that rocket from 1820s up there towards about 2493, just off of a regular pattern that is common. This is a common pattern there. So I definitely wanted to point that out. What do you think about that pattern there, Chris? 
Yeah, I like that. You know, Clover getting lots of attention as a short squeeze candidate. The last data I saw was that over 36% of shares are short. Um, So I think this one's going to be in play for a couple days, you know, until we see that short volume go down. As you already see on that chart, though, you know, it was up 100% today. It's up about 50% now. Mm -hmm. So it has fallen down. Um, So just be careful chasing this one. Watch what Mitch is saying, you know, about that entry and following those trend lines. You don't want to get caught, you know, chasing this thing up, um, you know, at all time highs, which it was actually trading at earlier. So just be careful with these momentum names, these short squeeze names, um, you know, so you don't get caught uh, chasing. Yeah, at the end of the day, you got to remember what kind of trader is trading this. And it's usually going to be a day trader with big sizing, just trying to get a couple cents, maybe even 25 cents, not probably even looking at a whole dollar, let alone trying to get this one here as a long-term investment. So definitely good uh, opinion there. Uh, MP was my favorite one. This was my favorite chart. I had put it up on my Twitter, guys. If you guys follow me on Twitter, I talked about this one. I, I said, man, When's MP coming back roaring? Today, 10% move, definitely looking good. Starting to really break out through that trend line. Now looking like it wants to head towards the 40. I'll look for a pullback closer towards kind of 35, but a strong day for MP materials. Yeah, you know, MP has been one we've talked about, you know, for months, right? It was also one of our first interviews was with MP CEO James Latinsky. You know, this is a rare earth mining play. And I think the story is just it, it's there and it's going to stay, um, you know, so watch your entry points. You had the chance to get into this one a couple times, um, you know, at decent uh, drops here. But yeah, now it looks like it's going to head to 40. I don't know if we're going to see a pullback, uh, you know, anytime soon. So maybe wait on an entry here, but love the long-term story for MP Materials. Yep. Last one I'll bring on before we get to our interview is going to be Mile. Mile is one I've been really liking off of that low. And I mean, look at this daily chart. It's had like it's barely two days red in the last kind of month and a half so definitely keep your eyes on this one i'm gonna keep my eyes on this one i I like this one long term guys um just because it could keep coming on up with insurances one of the ones that i've been following this one is a bigger stock that's lemonade also kind of making a move up in similar similar play guys so keep those on radar they kind of move hand in hand even though they're kind of completely different price ranges so that's one of the ways that i like to stick with them and i've been talking about the gambling stocks coming back just for the long term want to bring these up pen dkng um having a good day let's see if these can come really back because of course we have some cheaper specs rsi and then of course gnog uh, that are looking starting to look good so we'll see if these kind of continue in the gambling industry all right, let's go ahead and let's get into everybody's favorite time where we unlock the specs. We've been talking about different patterns. We've been looking at different moves. Chris and I have been watching the supply and demand change in the spec, and I thought no other way than reaching out to the king himself. So, Chris, go ahead, introduce him. Who's the king out here? It's not Chamath. I'll bring him in. Let's go ahead, bring him in here. Uh, I saw someone mention that in the chat. I was like, come on, come on. You don't know who the king is? All right, guys. Yeah, super excited. Let, let's go ahead, smash the like. Let's get those likes up. We have a great guest on the show today. One of our favorite and first guests we had on the show, 
Julian Klamachko, the SPAC king. He is the CEO and chief investment officer of Accelerate, runs a couple SPAC-based funds. Welcome back to the show, Julian. Hey, Chris. Hey, Mitch. Excited to be here on SPAC's Attack once again. So let's get into it. A lot going on out there. Definitely, definitely. We're going to ask about some patterns, some everything we've been looking at in the industry. And of course, it looks like they, they're asking for you to share your reign with Chamath, but uh, I don't know how that's going to happen. I think there's only one seat to the Kings, so we'll, we'll have to see that. Let's go ahead and let Chris ask some questions, and I'll be back with some of my own. All right, Julian. So we, of course, know a lot about you. We know you as the SPAC King. I'm sure we have some new viewers out there since the last time you were on. So just give us a brief overview of your history um, in the market and what your involvement is with SPACs here. Yeah, thank you, Chris. And so to give you a bit of background on myself, been running hedge funds and alternative strategies for over a dozen years. Almost of my career prior to that, I worked in M&A for an investment bank. So seeing the uh, inside and outs of deals, I've done a blank check company myself, and I run the world's first SPAC-focused ETF, the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF, trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol ARB, and been watching, following the SPAC market since 2013. I've invested in probably over 300 SPACs uh, in my career and have looked at pretty much every single SPAC out there. And so that's, that's my wheelhouse. That's what I look at every day, and there's a, a ton going on, a ton of growth, and super exciting stuff happening in the blank check space today. And so there's a, a ton of things to talk about. Yeah, you guys heard it. This is the SPAC King, invested in over 300 SPACs, the first SPAC ETF out there uh, in North America. So we're excited. So Julian, let's dive right in. The, the biggest question out there, you know, we've seen these POPs. After these deal votes from, you know, OWL, SoFi, Bark, and many more, also yeah. stocks trading positive on the deal announcement. So the big question out there is, are SPACs back? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at some of the, uh, what happened was there's like a lot of criticism on a certain number of key SPACs. Obviously, we had uh, CCIB and, and Churchill Capital 4, the Lucid deal. That was just a bit up too high pre-deal, but it's still trading very well, $25 per share. So it has had a bit of a run lately. Also, Clover Health, that one did knock down Chamath a peg or two, but you know it's basically up 150% over the past three, four weeks. And so he's really getting his reputation back. And then ones that faced a lot of criticism, call it the, the Nicolas of the world, um, you know, probably well-deserved on, on some of those, but nonetheless, they have come back as well. So in the first quarter of the year, we had tremendously positive sentiment. The market was running red hot, and that turned pretty quickly. The market peaked Feb 19th, went into a bear market. It bottomed March 24th and sort of just flatlined since then. And last year, if you remember, we'd see a lot of these SPACs pop on announcement of a deal, but that price action has really now migrated to now the deal vote. And once the deal closes, as you indicated, we saw it on OWL, we saw it on Bark, we saw it on Latch. So I'm watching a number of deal votes coming out to see how these stocks trade in the DSPAC process, because that's really important. But you know, it represents this big uh, inefficiency in the market that I'm seeing. And it's only a matter of time before that starts 
migrating back into the deal announcement because you're seeing a number of very high quality deal announcements, definitive agreements with SPACs and private companies that really are being ignored by the street. I had a tweet out yesterday that said, now how often do you get to invest in top tier late stage venture capital financings along with Tiger, Tiger Global at prices lower than they get access to? I mean, that's practically unheard of for everyday investors, but that's now available in many, many SPACs and quite frankly, uh, doesn't get very much attention at all. So that is a key dynamic worth paying attention to. Yeah, so you know, I, I guess the the big question, you know, is before we saw deal announcements where we'd get, you know, these 40, 50 percent pops on day one, and, and then we shifted to the opposite where deals, you know, wouldn't pop at all. And, and now the valuation period's coming post-deal. Do you think we continue to see this pattern, you know, where the the SPACs kind of trade in the ten to eleven dollar range, and then you know investors wait until that merger vote goes through to really dive in, or do we meet somewhere in the middle, you know, with some five to ten percent pops on deal announcements coming back? Yeah, I think you really nailed it. It's more of the latter in terms of some of that SPAC pop coming back. I mean. 50 to 100% pops on the first day uh, that was happening in Q4 of last year and Q1 of this year. That's really unprecedented and probably not coming back, but I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, up 10, 15% on deal announcement, because if you think about it, why should these rally on deal vote? I mean, all the information's out there already. So if you like a deal, you should get in before that. And the key indicator is the volume. So if you look at the volume on deal announcement, it's down significantly compared to call it four or five months ago. And that's a real key indicator is because a lot of these SPACs held pre-deal are held by arbitrageers, right? And they're not looking to hold on to the pro forma entity. They're looking to obviously sell at a profit. So you need a sufficient amount of speculators coming into the SPAC on the deal announcement to basically have the arms exit the stock. Uh, otherwise, they'll redeem, and then we're seeing the price action post-redemption on the DSPAC, perhaps the floats a little bit smaller, but you don't have this big hangover in the stock where it can now rally. However, we all know markets are somewhat efficient, and it's only a matter of time before SPACs start pricing in this DSPAC rally prior to that, right? So I think that's more so going to migrate from you know around the vote or shortly thereafter up into either the deal announcement or the time period between announcement and the vote. And we're starting to see a little bit of the, the catch-up trade happening too with some of these deals that recently completed that dropped below 10, yeah. um, you know, now getting back up to that original $10 level, uh, like Lightning E-Motors, mm -hmm. um, you know, and a couple others. Do you think we continue to see that makeup trade where they get back to $10 or are there still some deals that investors are just, you know, going to stay away from? Yeah, it's really hard to make a blanket statement. You got to look at each and every stock, SPAC, whatever the security is on a standalone basis. There's some high quality ones and there's some low quality ones. So some will drop very, very quickly and some will uh, rally to new highs, right? So it really depends on the specific security. Can't really lump them in. I mean, in terms of SPAC deals, there's some good ones and there's some uh, really bad ones, uh, as we all know. So it's it's real important to do your due diligence and, and know what you own. 
So Julian, you know, we've got you on the perfect time with, you know, SPACs coming back. We also have this, this phenomenal June calendar, right, with so many vote dates taking place, you know, and we're continuing to add, you know, new deals uh, votes, you know, June 30th and the end of the month. What's kind of on your radar as some of the top SPACs uh, with votes coming in June that maybe investors should be paying attention to, you know, to see if they meet this pattern and maybe that could be great targets, you know, after a vote date? You know, that's a really good question because as you indicated, there are just so many this month. And I think, number one, it's important for the SPAC ecosystem because as we all know, the one of the main reasons for the bear market was just an oversaturated SPAC market and an oversupply of blank check companies. And so there's a, no, a number, like a large number that are going to de-SPAC this month, which is positive because surprisingly it's uh, you know over one quarter through June and we've had one SPAC IPO that's today for $50 million. And we've had countless number of de-SPACs and, and more and more upcoming. And so, yeah, a ton of uh, interesting ones. Uh, one that I have on my, my radar, uh, actually two that are on the 10th, CCX um, and VGAC. So CCX is another very large Churchill Capital deal uh, that is the Skillsoft merger. It's traded very, very poorly. So I think if that one can get a bit of a rally, that will be a key indicator worthwhile watching. And then uh, the VGAC on the same date on Thursday as well. Heading into next week, we have CRSA, HEC, ACAC. Um, so those ones are worthwhile watching. And then the week after, uh, TBA uh, on the 22nd, Tama Bravo, which I believe was the first billion dollar warrantless SPAC super high profile deal because Tama Bravo, Tama Bravo is one of the largest tech private equity firms out there. Um, FRX on the 24th, that one's worthwhile watching as well. The Beachbody deal. And then, man, we just have so many. I think there's at least 20 D-SPACs this month. So it's it's positive to see. As I indicated, we will see the supply decreasing. And if you subscribe to the theory that this bear market that we're now recovering from was caused by an oversaturation. It's great to see a large number of DSPACs and very few IPOs because ultimately that brings down the supply and econ 101 supply demand indicates we now have demand increasing, supply shrinking, price can only go one way, right? Perfect. Well, I hope everyone watching was paying attention. You just got a couple to put on your watch list. Uh, you know, again, not advice, but those are the ones that Julian's watching, you know, this huge calendar in June. Um, you know, I have to ask this question, which might actually change as we see more SPACs IPO. But before when we had you on the show, you know, we were seeing a difficulty for yourself and others to even get allocations uh, of SPAC IPOs and they would shoot over $10. Yeah. Then we saw these units, you know, price at $10 and they were trading below $10 on the public markets. Did your strategy change? Were you waiting to get allocations until they went public or were you still, you know, getting in at that $10 price point, you know, knowing you can get the arbitrage trade later on? Yeah, it all depends. So we still subscribe to the odd IPO if it's a very high quality. But as you indicated, sentiment went from red hot to ice cold in a matter of months such that 
previously, the average SPAC IPO has gone up 7 to 8% on the first day, right? And this is just for a cash shell that's trading at 1070, 1080. Now they're trading at like 995, 990. I consider that an arbitrager's paradise. Imagine buying units at 995, you're getting one third of a warrant as well. You have the right to get back your $10 plus accrued interest on the common shares and keep the warrant. I mean, who's going to complain about that trade? It just seems like a phenomenal risk reward proposition. If you can have your downside covered through that $10 plus accrued interest redemption clause, if you don't like the deal, you get a free look at the deal, plus you get warrants. I mean, come on, who wouldn't want to take that? So arbitrageurs paradise right now in new issue SPACs. Yeah, so that's one of my questions is, you know, with with SPACs, we have, you know, kind of a different theory out there, some issue warrants, and we're seeing some without warrants. So, yeah. you know, one of, or a couple questions here, you know, first would be, do you tend to avoid SPACs that don't issue warrants? Or, you know, if it's a big enough name, like the Tama Bravo one, are, are you still inclined to, you know, just bet on the, the jockey here? Or do, you know, warrants really matter in, in terms of getting in on these units? You know, that's a great question. And I like to diversify among strategies. So if we look uh, in 2020, early 2021, it was all about betting on the jockey where you'd have the majority of your return from the common shares. For example, one of my favorite ones was uh, the first uh, Longview spec. And they did the Butterfly Network deal. That was a big win for us. So we owned those pre-deal, popped about 50% as it became Butterfly Network. And that was really betting the jockey. And the warrants didn't really play they're a small portion of the return. Now that dynamic completely flipped this year where basically every, nearly every single SPAC definitive agreement announced gets pinned to like 990 and 100% of the return is in the warrant, right? So you look at some of these SPACs that are considered of, of lower quality, they either had to, some have to offer an entire warrant, like one full warrant per unit. Those you know, they're still pinned to 990. However, the warrant's now worth a buck. So your unit return is close to 10%. Meanwhile, a warrantless SPAC, they announce a deal and it goes to 990 and, you know, you get back 10 bucks on the redemption and that's it. So making your return zero. So I like holding both. It really depends on the sentiment of the current environment. The sentiment is still quite poor these days, so the majority of your return will likely come from the, from the warrant. However, if we enter a new bull market, which I'm expecting later this year, the majority of the return will revert back to the common shares. So I think it's important to diversify. You know, you're fine buying some warrantless SPACs. Personally, we gravitate towards the biotech ones. We've had some big winners there, specifically in the CM Life Sciences ones. Um, those are always uh, a hot commodity, certainly, and we try to get in on the IPO. But then there's also the low-profile ones that do have, you know, significant warrant coverage. And sometimes they have an overfunded trust as well, meaning they start out with a net asset value of $10.10, $10.15, sometimes even $10.20. And we have some big winners from that as well. Uh, one that we did buy were the MUDS units that had... Uh, at or below $10 and they announced top steel. We still are long that in the ARB ETF. And that one was a big winner. It had an overfunded trust. 
and it had great warrant coverage. So, you know, I'm really a fan of both. I like diversifying because each strategy can work in a different environment. Yeah, so you know, you already hit on this, but I, just to expand, you know, the opposite side of the the no warrant spectrum, we have the the SPACs that include a full warrant at a one to one ratio, which you touched on. One that I am long is Lego, so L E G O. Yeah. You know, and we have the warrants trading around a dollar fifty right now, and the the common trading nine ninety something. You know, on that Algoma Steel deal. Yeah. You know, if you have these SPACs with the one-to-one warrant, um, you know, are, it, does that make you more inclined to get into these just knowing, uh, you know, that there is, you know, almost a guaranteed opportunity for the arbitrage trade there? Yeah, and so my thoughts on that is that markets are somewhat efficient. And when a sponsor team wants to, you know, take a SPAC public, they need to offer a certain amount of incentive for investors, hedge funds to subscribe to the IPO. And typically the ones that can do the warrantless SPAC are those very high profile, you know, Tama, Bravo, uh, firms like that, Tosla Ventures, they can get away with it. However, the ones that typically have to issue an entire warrant per unit, those, they typically have, um, you know, not nearly as much market recognition or the reputational capital of some other sponsor teams. And really that's how they get priced, you know, overfunded trust, higher warrant coverage on the lesser known teams, perhaps a first time SPAC sponsor, or perhaps they did uh, some deals that weren't well, uh, they didn't trade well previously. And so that's somewhat priced in. However, you know, if they are offering substantial warrant coverage or, you know, these rights and things of that nature, overfunded trust, then, you know, they can pay off pretty handsomely because you have a, a much higher baseline return. That being said, the ones that offer higher incentives for investors to participate through more warrants and overfunded trust, things of that nature, typically they're much, much smaller issues because the sponsor team has, you know, less reputational capital to raise a significant SPAC. So typically the ones with much higher warrant coverage are generally in the, you know, 50, $100 million range. Meanwhile, the warrantless ones are typically much, much larger. Perfect. So Julian, you know, first, before I get to more questions, I just got to tell you the chat is absolutely loving hearing this knowledge from you guys. The SPAC King is here. Uh, You know, I see Ruel saying he's going to go back and watch this show several times because there is just so much knowledge here. So Julian, just got to give you a shout out here, you know, for, you know, again, being such an expert and, and, you know, a leader in the SPAC field. Um, I know the chat appreciates your time today. Let's dive into, you know, maybe some former SPACs. So some of these de-SPAC'd companies, what have been some surprises for you? You know, we've seen Playboy really take off this year. Nicola come back. What what names have, you know, really surprised you at how maybe they've traded a post-merger deal here? Yeah, Playboy was a huge one. That was really a dark horse. I remember we actually held the Mountain Crest Acquisition 1. I believe it was MCAC. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it didn't really get a lot of attention uh, post-deal announcement. It just started slowly creeping up uh, on the DSPAC and just really took off to nearly $50 per share. So that was one of the biggest wins this year in terms of post-SPAC equities. And others that really got beaten down, 
you're starting to see them come back significantly. And these, like the dynamic over the past few months up until a couple of weeks ago was these hyper-growth, pre-profit, pre-revenue names really got beaten down as sentiment changed towards those types of securities. Highly speculative, hyper-growth, you know, space travel, electric vehicles, uh, things of that nature. And you are seeing the beaten down DSPACs having a significant rally. I'm surprised to now see Clover Health as a so-called meme stunk. And I think that's more so driven by the high short interest. And that's one thing that's starting to kind of light a fire under these DSPACs is many of them did generate quite a bit of interest from short sellers, whether it's Nicola, Clover Health, and a number of others that did have short reports come out on them. Uh, that's kind of biting the short sellers in the butt here as the whole Wall Street Bets Reddit crowd really chase after these heavily shorted names. And you're starting to see it if you look at Lordstown Motors, Ride, uh, Nicola, NKLA, Clover Health, CLOV. All of these are just absolutely ripping. So that's one dynamic to look at. Kind of a short seller. Uh, covering driven rally. And the other is that dynamic that we've, we've talked about previously is these deeds backs rallying, just surging post deal vote. And so that is a dynamic that's really worthwhile watching. And perhaps there's a play to preempt that maybe even through the warrants. I never really advocate to trade warrants. I know a lot of individual investors like them because they're they're highly volatile. Remember that a warrant is a highly leveraged play on the stock, but you know, if it's in your kind of play portfolio, then you know, perhaps it's it's worth a gamble in some of those warrants pre-deal closing, because a lot of the times you have arbitragers selling these warrants at perhaps uh, you know, a dollar eighty cents, and then all of a sudden the stock takes off to fifteen dollars post-deal vote, and next thing you know, those warrants are at three, four bucks. I think I saw someone post some interesting warrant statistics, and people have had big winners recently on the warrants of, say, Ride and Clover Health. So it's, you know, that's uh, something worthwhile considering. But keep in mind, um, never put more than you can lose into warrants because it cuts both ways. <laughs> they have high leverage to the upside high leverage to the downside and warrants can ultimately go to zero as can stocks. I mean, this is risky business. So obviously diversify and, you know, never risk more than you can lose. Perfect. So Julian, we talked a little bit about, you know, some names to watch with votes in June. Uh, any names you want to throw out that are, you know, some recently announced deals are deals that don't have a vote date set that maybe just are are undervalued and not getting the attention that you think they deserve, um, you know, for a, a post-merger play? Yeah, one that came came to mind, I don't have a position in this one, but it's uh, Dragoneers SPAC, DGNR. So they struck a deal with CCC Information Services. Actually, I hosted the CEO on my podcast, and I like what they had to say. I think that um, they, have a, they have a great shot. I mean, it's a business that has been around forever. They used to be a public company. They went private. Now they're going public again. The last time they're a public company, they had roughly 400% return for shareholders. They made their private equity owners a lot of money. And now I think that they can earn public shareholders once again a lot of money. So CCC Information Services, 
Dragoneer, I mean, they're a top-tier firm, DGNR. I think this is a real solid deal. And this back, it's trading around $10 per share. So you're not paying that premium. You're getting in at the same price as other, you know, high-end investors. I believe, uh, you know, Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, Mike Bloomberg's family office. The other dynamic that I think is super, super interesting and we saw this in a deal that just got announced yesterday. And so we do have a position in this one in the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, but it's VPC Impact Acquisition 3. The symbol is VPCC. So they announced the Dave deal yesterday. Yeah, Dave is this uh, consumer banking app. And what caught my eye is that the most prolific venture investor out there, Tiger Global, they're running tens of billions of dollars. They're leading this pipe financing at 10 bucks a share. And now investors can buy it at like 9.95. So it's not too often that you can invest alongside, you know, leading late stage VC investors and get in at a lower price after they underwrite the deal. Um, so that is uh, a couple interesting ones that are on my radar. I think it's a good thing for investors to look on the deal announcement, see, hey, who's in the pipe here? And sometimes you're seeing some very high quality investors, um, some with like Valpo, Seth Klarman and things of that nature. It's worthwhile taking a second look at those because when you have these very high quality investors leading an investment at $10 per share, and then you as a regular investor has the opportunity of buying at 990, uh, that is an opportunity that should be looked at closely. Awesome, you know, and we, we gotta talk a couple of the big names. So Chamath, Polyhoptia, of course, yeah. you know, originally planned to launch IPOA to IPOZ. We've seen IPOA to IPOF, and, and now we're getting yeah. a little bit of a break where we're yeah. getting uh, four biotech SPACs coming yeah. out, DNAA through DNAD. What, what do you make of this? And will these be SPACs that uh, you're taking a look at uh, getting allocations in? Yeah, we'll take a look at them. Historically, the social capital SPACs are, are heavily oversubscribed, so we'll see. These are smaller issues. They're all $200 million, and they're all warrantless, which isn't too much of a surprise because typically biotech SPACs don't come with a warrant. And so it's, it's a different vibe than his uh, initial IPO series given that these are biotech focused, so completely different sector. And each one is very specific area of biotech, you know, genomics and things of that nature. But I think in terms of sector specific SPACs, one that has the, one of the brightest futures are biotech SPACs. The thing is, there's so many private biotech companies that have a ton of upside that are just kind of waiting to access public markets. And I think that SPAC is a great vehicle for biotech companies. You've seen a ton of tech-focused SPACs come out, and those may be more challenged just given how competitive the market is. I mean, there's a limited amount of these so-called unicorn tech companies, and everyone wants a piece of them, but there's way more biotech companies, and there's far fewer SPAC investors focused on it. So I think it's a, a great area to focus on. However, biotech is perhaps the riskiest sector out there. And it's, you know, you'll earn like five to 10x or you'll go to zero. I mean, a lot of these uh, biotech plays are binary where either it works and goes up a lot or it doesn't and it goes to zero. So keep that in mind. 
Yeah, and the other big name, of course, getting in the news uh, in SPACs recently, Bill Ackman. So we yeah. finally got some news out there from PSTH. We don't have time to get into the whole deal structure, but what's kind of your takeaways from PSTH? And now that it has dropped, you know, is there a decent entry point here compared to when it, you know, was trading at the highest premium of all these pre-deal SPACs? What's kind of your, your takeaway uh, this week? Yeah, and so for a long time, I was warning investors that uh, the Pershing Square SPAC was trading uh, too high relative to its net asset value for a pre-deal SPAC. It was like way up here when everything else was trading at or below NAV. And people thought I was hitting on Bill Ackman. No, I love Bill Ackman, huge Bill Ackman fan. And now that they have not announced a definitive agreement, but they gave some details to the market and the SPAC has come down. So two things. The valuation that you're paying, it's roughly kind of 11, 12% premium instead of a 25% premium to NAV. So that has a big effect on my attitude towards it. So you're getting a much better entry point. And number two, the UMG deal, Universal Music Group. I'm a big fan of that one, although we do have limited information at this point. It is one I'm looking forward to reading more about, uh, strong macro trends. Uh, I think the valuation makes sense. And it seems like a great opportunity for investors from what we know. Granted, it is still not a definitive agreement. So keep in mind, the deal could still fall apart. Uh, we're waiting to hear you know, some definitive details and more uh, details with respect to the, the financials on that one. But so far, so good in terms of what we see. We have a good merger target and a much more attractive valuation than what we were seeing a few weeks ago. Awesome. And then the last question from me before we get to just a couple ones from the chat is, you know, we keep hearing SEC, SEC, um, you know, so you've been investing in SPACs, you know, for a while. What do you think shakes out of all this? What do you think we see for changes? And are there any changes that you think need to happen with SPACs in regards to disclosures and items like that? Yeah, I'm not too worried about it, especially if you're buying at a good price. I mean, if you're buying a SPAC at $10 or below, you don't really face a lot of the risk. I think where the risk was a few months ago and that I was warning investors about is if you're paying $12 for a pre-deal SPAC with $10 cash, that's where the risk comes in. And so in terms of what the SEC can do, uh, they're making some noise about the forward-looking statements and the forecast. So I'm keeping my eye on that. And that will affect the type of companies going public via SPAC. You have some that can go public just based on their historical financial information. One of those would be the Dragoneer CCC Information Services deal. I mean, that's a, str that's a strong company, been around decades with very strong fundamentals. However, if you have a pre-revenue you know, space infrastructure company, they're not gonna work without having those forecasts. So me personally, I think forecasts add value to investors, the more information we can get out there, but what is really bad to see is where these companies put out these very bullish forecasts and then six months later, they withdraw them or, or it's not even close. Like we did see those on some battery tech and some EV company deals. And, you know, that's one of the major risks is that a lot of these companies going public via SPAC are still not mature companies. They're still like startups. And with startups, yeah, you can put out bullish projections, but it's up to the investor to evaluate does this make sense? Is it realistic? 
how probable are they to attain these forecasts? There's a lot that are saying, oh, we're going to get to a billion revenue in five years from like 10 million last year. Now that's quite the leap. I'm sure some can, and if they do, then the stock will be, you know, on a, on a massive rocket. But if they don't, many will disappoint and many will you'll know, lose money on those likely. So that's something to keep in mind. You can't believe and take forecasts, you know, as gospel. You need to take them for what they work, which is probably a bullish guess from management. You can haircut those if you want. You can completely disregard them, or you can do more due diligence on them and you know try to come up with your own forecast. But keep in mind that you know these companies forecasting triple-digit revenue growth caggers, that is highly speculative. Awesome. So, Julian, you know, we could keep you all day because the chat just keeps dropping tickers in wanting some opinions. So I'm just going to throw out a couple and, you know, feel free, you know, to skip if you want. But one that was asked by Ruel and now I'm seeing uh, Vu also ask about is THBR merging with Indy Semiconductor. Any thoughts on this and maybe the, the overall theme of some of these semiconductor companies going public via SPAC at a time when we're seeing a chip shortage. Is that a positive uh, catalyst to watch? Yeah, so certainly it really depends on on the type of company and, you know, the, the channels that they're selling into. But certainly semiconductors have quite the tailwind behind them these days. So I think that's a sector worthwhile considering. And some of these semiconductors could rip quite a bit. And you're seeing it with some of the larger names in the market. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some of these semiconductor companies going public by SPAC. I wouldn't be surprised to see them do well, at least in the near term. So that's something to uh, to keep in mind is, yeah, that chip shortage and, and the various effects happening that are, are going through the channel. Then we have uh, Cahill asking about GIG, G-I-G, which just recently yeah. announced the, the Big Bear deal um, and saying that this one could be Palantir's little brother. Uh, any thoughts on this AI and machine learning uh, company in this deal? Yeah, and so that one, um, it's interesting. It is somewhat uh, more so speculative these days, although they do have pretty significant revenue in terms of AI, like a a mini Palantir. You look at Palantir and, and that company is quite speculative uh, in terms of their, their valuation is relatively lofty and really reliant on government contracts. But Big Bear is an interesting deal. It's kind of been missed by the market. It was announced just a couple of days ago and it has not really caught on in terms of getting an investors' attention. But I think it could be one worthwhile looking into. If you look that they did, um, they actually didn't do a pipe equity financing, but they did a convertible bond issue led by Fortress, Marathon, Hybrid. So a bunch of hedge funds in there. However, you got to remember, they are senior to the equity holders and that they hold a convertible debt. So they do get some upside, but they have some downside protection as well. So it's worthwhile looking into the details on these things and specifically looking at the capital structure too, because they're raising a bunch of debt and not equity. So debt instead of equity, especially if they are facing redemptions in terms of their cash, you know, this is a SPAC with 358 million uh, on their balance sheet. However, it's not trading very well at around 984 with $10 in the bank. So arbitragers will come into this one and they'll just try to do that arbitrage, which is roughly three to 4% annualized, not a bad return in an era of zero interest rates. However, that push puts the cash balance at risk. 
So one uh, on this one specifically, I'd be concerned about their balance sheet post-closing just because they are raising debt, not equity, in the uh, concurrent financing. And their substantial cash balance that they're probably reliant on for this deal could uh, be facing a risk as we come upon redemption. So that's something uh, worthwhile considering. Awesome. And then the last one here from Fast Eddie in the chat asking about SoFi. What are your thoughts on SoFi previously IPOE? Yeah. And so that has been a SPAC that has been, you know, it's done tremendously well into the D SPAC. Uh, you know, it's kind of doubled. And I think uh, the SoFi deal in and of itself really added some much needed credibility back into the SPAC space because SoFi was a very high profile tech startup in Silicon Valley that could have easily gone public via IPO to much fanfare. I mean, if SoFi went public via IPO, it'd be like CNBC would be on it 100 hours in a week. You know what I mean? But they went public via SPAC, which really kind of brought a lot of credibility back to the space, which I think is much needed uh, this time. And it, you know, frankly, brought a lot of credibility back to Chamath. So I think it's, you know, as we see Clover come back, it's really kind of uh, reloading his personal social capital and his ability to do more SPAC. So I think that's nice to see. I'm a big fan of Chamath as well. So I'm looking forward to him bringing some more high quality business combinations. And what people need to remember is, you know, no one bats uh, 100%, right, as a uh, sponsor. You'll, you'll have some winners and some losers. The thing is, as long as you have some big winners and much fewer uh, losers that are smaller than, you know, at the end of the day, on average, you're going to do well. So, so far, it was a big deal, and it's been very successful thus far. So it's good to see you. Awesome. Well, as I said, Julian, we could keep you all day with all these tickers flying in the chat, but that's going to do it for questions. We've got to have you back on the show more often. We've been doing so many CEO interviews, but we, we got to bring the SPAC King back on here to, to drop this knowledge. So guys, if you're just tuning in, you're going to want to save this video, go back and watch. We have Julian Klimachko, the CEO and Chief Investment Officer, Accelerate Funds, the first SPAC ETF in North America, that's ARB, uh, on the Toronto Stock Exchange. I dropped Julian's Twitter handle in the chat as well. Make sure you give him a follow. As I said on the show yesterday, he's one of the accounts I look at every single day because there's such knowledge and information there. So, Julian, uh, you know, what else can I say except thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule Joining us on SPACs Attack once again, we look forward to, to seeing you very soon. Yeah, I look forward to coming back. Always happy to be on SPACs Attack. So thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you, Julian. You have a good one, okay? All right. All right, guys. Well, you heard it here at SPAC King. I mean, Mitch, holy cow, what knowledge that, that we got. And all those compliments in the chat, guys, thank you. That, that means a lot to know that we had a great guest on today, that you guys enjoyed it. And, you know, to be able to drop some tickers in there and get Julian's opinions, I mean, holy cow on this information, Mitch. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing that we've been watching for is the pattern that was talked about by Julian. Um, we were looking at it also, you know, we were looking to see how the, these SPACs were going to perform. And it, it just really started giving us that that eyesight when we started seeing these kind of different stocks start moving 
and it, really this was kind of the what I call the fifth wave that that valuation period where you're really starting to look at the stock you're getting even earnings come out and 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 that's really where you're going to start seeing some of these winners separate from the losers and I think that's really what you're seeing also um, one of the things that we were talking about also that I, I loved is how he mentioned how hey Sometimes, you know, you got to look at, you got to adapt. You know, he, he talked about how he started looking more at those units and how they just seemed uh, attractive. I mean, Chris was talking about these units also, you know, because it, it did seem attractive. I mean, you're getting units at 995, 990, 985. I mean, the with some warrants, I mean, it definitely is attractive an investment. So, um, hey. I honestly, what I would do, guys, is I would hit the replay right now and just start it over and hear that again because there was so much there, guys. You guys can fill out a couple pages worth of notes. Yeah, and Mitch, I mean, what was that big D word that he said too? Diversification. I mean, you, you got to have a couple different ways to play it. So you can have units with warrants, units without warrants, and, and maybe take a couple hits on these SPACs because they're not all going to win, right? But you're going to get some big winners that can offset the flat ones or the, the drops. And, you know, I, I love the conversation. You know, you guys heard SPACs that Julian's watching in June and CCX, Mitch, that's that's a good point. You know, a Churchill Capital SPAC, that, that's a very large one doing their vote. And could that be a sign if that one trades positive on the deal, you know, that we're really going to see that wave continue? You know, and VGAC was another one mentioned. Uh, you know, and GIG, the one that someone brought up in the chat, you know, almost the mini Palantir, you know, again, he said, you know, it got announced a couple days ago and it's kind of going unnoticed. And Mitch, again, the talk about SoFi, right? If this would have gone public via traditional IPO, gotten all that attention on CNBC, you just heard it from Julian, it would have gone much higher, but instead it went via SPAC and it's still possibly a, a good play here for investors. Yeah, definitely one to keep on watch out. One of the things is, yeah, this probably would have opened up at some premium of like probably double or three times the price and you would have to wait months and months for it to get down to these levels for you to take the, the kind of the, the trade. I mean, for a while there, we thought coin might do the same, right? Yep. And and you can look at that. that that's the story right there. IPO or SPAC, what do you want to do? <laughs> right? Would you, would you rather take a little bit to go up or would you rather go up day one and then drop every single day after that? I mean, I, I guess it's up to the companies, but to exactly. me, I, I'd rather have the SoFi chart, you know, going forward, but to, to each their own. So definitely, definitely guys. Well, I just wanted to say I, I didn't get a chance to talk about it because I didn't want to interrupt that great interview. I did sell some of Latch today, guys. I did sell some of it into the move. I still have a third of the position. I'm just going to let that third of the position ride now. But one of the things that we did get confirmation was confirmation of the pattern. And those were another reason why I took this trade and got some skin in the game, just because I wanted to see if the pattern really was developing. Now, we got some other names to look out for. Like we just talked about CCX, uh, VGAC is going to be one on the watch. Definitely. Let's see if those can start ramping. To me, the move up needs to be past 11 for me to feel like the pattern is still holding. It needs to not just be like a little pop. We're not talking about 5% pop. We're talking at least at 10 to 15% pop. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. And 
hey, I'll hold on to some of my latch. I have some Kappa that I did get in yesterday that's looking good. Uh, it spiked randomly in the afternoon towards 1040. I had I got it at 1006. Um, we talked about it on the show. And then another one that I have holding in the same kind of pattern for the same look is FRX. So we'll see what happens, Chris. Yeah, and guys, I just dropped in the chat the link. I put out an article on Benzinga with that June calendar. So we talk about it on the show every day, but I also have an article out that has all those June vote dates. Um, It's missing a couple that I talked about on the show today, but I'll try to get in and update that. But Mitch, those are the ones I'm really taking a look at, right? Because the patterns here, and I think some of these June vote dates, you know, aren't getting attention yet. And over the next couple of weeks could be decent trades. I mean, you just saw that with Latch. I think we're going to see that with Kappa. And I think we're going to see that with some of these other big names with June votes. So, but that's going to do it for our show today. I want to thank everyone, you know, for sticking with SPACs Attack, me and Mitch here. You know, another great show, one of our favorite guests, right, Julian Klimachko. I mean, he was one of our very first guests because we wanted someone with the knowledge in the SPAC game to really help our show at the beginning. And he has graciously returned every time we've asked him. He's been at our boot camp events as well. I mean, he is a friend of Benzinga's, and we were so happy to bring him back. And as Mitch said, I mean, I'm going to go back and watch this interview because I was asking the questions and couldn't keep up with all his knowledge. But there is so much there. This is a show to definitely watch again to hear from the SPAC king himself. Yep, yep. Looks like, Chris, we're going to have to do another one of these. Another SPAC under $10 that could eventually start moving. We're going to have to do another one because we've done some great ones before. That was when we originally gave CCIV and what a monster it was at 10.05. I wish, I still wish, I still wish I would have had some because I would have just been holding. I would have been holding through all this time. And then, then I understand why you're a bull. You know, you're in at 10.05. I mean, sit back, relax, enjoy the show and see if the company can really meet those productions. Um, one of the things to watch out for CCIV out there, you guys lucid dreaming. I can't blame you, but keep your eyes out on production. If that changes immediately, you're going to see a quick reaction to the downside. So be careful out there, guys. I know it's been pushing up. I know there's, there's a lot of people pumping this one. I think you got to wait till the D SPAC. I think you got to wait for the merger vote announcement, but we'll see if it continues running. Like always, guys, we got Power Hour coming up next. Great show, like always. Let me make sure that it, we got this redirect set. It's been that kind of day for me. I'm just going to try to make sure. But, Chris, you can wrap up here. Yeah, so and remember, later this week, we have Dr. Jonathan Rothberg jo- joining us. He's the founder of Butterfly Network, BFLY, and also QuantumSci, which is going public via Kappa, C-A-P-A, So what another big name to have to talk about these SPACs and why he chose the SPAC route over traditional IPO. Tomorrow on the show, we'll be talking uh, some of those SPACs that are getting added to the Russell indexes and maybe some of the potential short squeeze plays to watch, giving you some trading ideas along the way. But exciting interviews, some due diligence and some trade ideas. As always, stay tuned. SPACs attack. Definitely, guys, let everybody know how informative this episode of SPACs Attack was. Do me the favor. Hit the share after the show. Let everybody know, hey, you want to learn about some SPACs, some ways to approach it? Watch this interview. Check it out, guys. We'll see you guys.